1, which is found on page 1039 in your Red Pew Bibles. First, though, please join me in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing us together today and letting us share in your word. Thank you also in advance for the rain that we know you're going to bring to our parched land. Illuminate for us the reading of your holy message and help us abide in your presence. Amen. The passage that we are reading is titled, The Sign of Jonah. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Thank you, Pris. I love those words of Jesus. Something greater than Jonah is here. I really like the way Eugene Peterson translates uh, verse 41 in his message. He says, a far greater preacher than Jonah is here. By all accounts, Jesus was a far greater preacher than Jonah, but Jonah was a pretty good preacher. If you remember the story of Jonah, Jonah was able to preach so powerfully and effectively. God used Jonah's preaching to get the entire city of Nineveh to repent. Remember the story of Jonah, right? Actually, there's a little more details I'd like to remember and and bring you through. You remember God calls Jonah to preach to the city of Nineveh, and Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. It was the city of Israel's primary enemies at the time. The last thing Jonah wants to do is to go to Nineveh to preach to his enemies, because Jonah knows that Well, that God, by his grace, might actually open the ears of the Ninevites, and the Ninevites might actually repent, and then God, in his mercy and grace, would save the city of Nineveh. And the last thing Jonah wants is to be an instrument of God's grace to his own personal enemies. So Jonah, rather than going to Nineveh, gets in a boat and heads towards Tarshish in the exact opposite direction. You know, it's real interesting if you read the book of Jonah, it's only four chapters. In the first chapter, there's this phrase that repeats three different times, how Jonah is trying to flee flee from the presence of the Lord. Three times we're told about the presence of the Lord. Jonah is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. But we all know that you cannot flee from the presence of the Lord, can you? As Psalm 139 tells us in verse 7 to 10, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. It's impossible for us to escape the loving presence of the Lord. We all know that. And as Presbyterians, we know that it's impossible to resist the clear call of God. Now, as Presbyterians, we know that we have free will. We believe that. We also know that 
Well, that God's sovereign will is greater than our own free will. I love the way that R.C. Sproul, the Presbyterian uh, theologian and professor, explains it this way. Our freedom is always and everywhere limited by God's sovereignty. God is free and we are free, but God is more free than we are. When our freedom bumps up against God's sovereignty, God's power, our freedom must yield. Let me read that last sentence again. When our freedom bumps up against God's sovereignty, our freedom must yield. That's the story of Jonah, isn't it? God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah in his free will tries to flee from the presence of the Lord, but ultimately God's will is going to be done. If God wants Jonah to preach in Nineveh, he will end up in Nineveh. Come hell or high water, right? Of course, this case, it was high water that ultimately led Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach After Jonah is thrown into the sea, we're told that Jonah sinks to the very bottom of the sea. Waves and billows pass over him. Seaweed wraps around his head. In desperation, Jonah prays a prayer for deliverance to Almighty God. Then God miraculously sends a huge fish to swallow Jonah and ultimately to save him. Inside the belly of this fish... Jonah prays one of the most beautiful prayers in all of Scripture. What is prayer exactly? Eugene Peterson says that prayer is answering speech. God acts and we respond by communicating to God. Tim Keller says this about prayer. Prayer is a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. Prayer is a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. We pray because we know that God is there and we believe that God wants to hear our prayers. Scripture actually tells us that God has listening, loving ears to hear our prayers. We know from the cross of Christ that God loves us a great deal. He, He loves us so much that he would send his own son to die for us as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so we know that God loves us and so he longs to hear his children speak to him in prayer. And like any relationship, if we want to grow in our relationship with God, well, we've got to talk to God. We have to pray. As we continue our Lenten sermon series on the prayers that guide us so that we might grow in our relationship with God this season of Lent, let's turn to Jonah's prayer that we find in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah prays this prayer in the midst of the belly of a fish in a very dark, dark place. I don't know where you are today, but maybe you're in the middle of a dark place. Maybe you're facing some uncertain future financially, medically, or relationally. Maybe the future is clear, but it doesn't look very bright. In fact, you would say it looks quite dark. What are we to do in the midst of the often dark circumstances of this life. How are we to pray when things don't seem to be going our way? To find out, turn to Jonah, chapter two. It may be found on page 983 of your Red Pew Bible. Jonah, chapter two, beginning with verse one. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, 
We thank you, Lord, that you inspired Jonah to put pen to paper so that we might have the story, the account of Jonah's ministry to the city of Nineveh. And Lord, we confess that we are not always open to your call, but we pray that our ears might be open today to hear you speak to us. That the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable to your holy sight. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Jonah chapter two, beginning with verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jonah lived in the 8th century BC in Israel, the northern kingdom, under the reign of King Jeroboam II. Any Jew living who would have heard this prayer of Jonah would have immediately identified it as a, a prayer of thanksgiving. It holds the four primary characteristics of the ancient prayers of thanksgiving in the Psalters. One, it declares how God has answered the prayer. Two, it reports the personal crisis that the person was in. Three, it declares the divine rescue. And four, it ends with a vow of praise. One, declares how God answered the prayer. Two, reports the personal crisis that the person was in. Three, declares the divine rescue. And four, ends with a vow of praise. Let's look at verse two again, which opens with an introductory summary of how God answered Jonah's prayer. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. In ancient Israel, Sheol was the place of the dead. It was the place where life is no more. At the bottom of the sea, Jonah felt like he was in Sheol, among the dead, where life is no more. And so in desperation, Jonah cried out to God for deliverance, and God answered him. We get a detailed description of the the, the way that God answered him, the, the personal crisis that Jonah was in in verses three to six. For you cast me into the deep, 
Into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up from life, up my life. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Did you notice this in the first part of verse three that all that's happening to Jonah is because of what God is doing? For you, God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, these weren't Jonah's waves, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Everything that's happening to Jonah is ultimately because of what God is doing. I know some will say, well, Jonah was rebellious and he was sinful and he resisted the clear call of God and so he, he fled for Tarshish and, and so it's really Jonah's fault that he's being punished. But, but if we think about it a little bit further, isn't God omniscient? Doesn't God know everything? Doesn't God know that when he asks Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh that Jonah is not going to want to do that? Isn't God already aware of, of Jonah's uh, predisposition uh, disposition to the people of Nineveh, that he doesn't like them, that there's no way jo- Jonah's going to want to go to Nineveh? Isn't this all really God's fault? I mean, why didn't God call someone else? Why does he call Jonah to go to Nineveh, a city that he knows Jonah is not going to want to go to? Yes, these are God's seas and billows and seaweed that is wrapped around Jonah that's bringing him to the depths of the ocean. This is all God's fault, and yet... Jonah offers a prayer of thanksgiving. Why? I don't know about you, but if I was in the belly of a fish, I would have a prayer of supplication. Lord, get me out of here. But that's not the prayer that Jonah prays, is it? Jonah doesn't pray that prayer. He offers a prayer of thanksgiving. He offers doxology, giving all glory and honor to God. After all, that's what doxology is. It's the prayer of thanksgiving as we seek to bring all glory and honor to God. The Greek New Testament for the word honor is doxa. And so we get the English term for doxology as we sing praises to God every Sunday morning. Uh, We particularly do this at 11 a.m. We always sing the doxology. The doxology was written by Thomas Ken many years ago. It's the most sung English hymn In the English language today, it's sung every Sunday around the world, wherever the body of Christ gathers together. People are often singing the doxology. Let's sing it together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Y'all should join the choir. You sound great. Doesn't that feel good to sing doxology? Whenever you're having a bad day, you get some bad news, things aren't going your way, just take a moment and, and sing doxology. As counterintuitive as it may feel, sing a hymn of praise to God, recognizing that God is is still with us. God is still very much in control. But how is it possible to offer praise, thanksgiving, doxology, 
when you're in the midst of darkness, in the midst of turmoil, when like Jonah, you feel like there's no escape. Reminds me of the old story of Fred Craddock, the great southern preacher, used to tell about his good friend, doxology. I've told this story before, but it's worth repeating. Fred Craddock tells a story about his good friend, doxology, that whenever doxology, his buddy, is with him, life is always just a little bit better. Fred Craddock says that, you know, I'm out in the backyard playing with my kids and we're playing catch and having a delightful time. Everyone's giggling, having a good time. And then there I notice my good friend doxology on the porch. And I give thanks to God and it makes everything better. It was like last weekend, we drove to the mountains to go skiing and as we were at the top of the mountains, I looked over all of God's expanse and creation. There was doxology right next to me, reminding me to give thanks to God for this wonderful moment, to give thanks to God for his wonderful creation. But it's not always appropriate to have doxology with you. I mean, there are times when it just doesn't seem appropriate to have doxology there. Like the night we got that phone call from the hospital telling us that Uncle Bill had been in a horrible accident. We got dressed as quickly as we could. We drove to the hospital. We got to the ICU. But when we arrived, we could tell by Martha's face, Aunt Martha, that Uncle Bill had died. We felt horrible. We hugged Aunt Martha. We told her how sorry we were. And then she looked around and said, well, where is doxology? Why didn't you bring doxology? Don't you know that I'm going to need doxology to help me through my grief in the coming days? Who would have thought Aunt Martha would want doxology at a time like that. It's not always appropriate to have doxology. I mean, surely there's some times when when doxology shouldn't be there, like the time last week when I was doing my hospital visits. I went to visit Frank in the ICU. I heard he wasn't doing well, and when I got there, sure enough, he was on his last breath. I entered in and I left doxology in the car because I just thought there's no way Frank would want to see doxology in such a somber moment. I I grabbed Frank's hand to let him know that I would pray for him one last time. But as I was holding Frank's hand, he turned to me and said, where is doxology, Howard? Didn't you know that where I'm going to go, that's what I'm going to be doing? Praising God with all the heavenly voices before me? I need doxology to be with me to help prepare me for life on the other side. And it was in that moment that I realized no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, no matter how dark the circumstances may be, we always need doxology with us. It's doxology. Thanksgiving, praise, reminds us that God is still with us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It's doxology. Praise, thanksgiving, helps bring light to the often dark circumstances of our lives here on this earth as we turn our hearts and minds to God and give thanks for his salvation. Yes, despite the scary, dark circumstances that Jonah is now in, Jonah offers doxology, praise, thanksgiving, in fact, as you read through the whole book of Jonah, you'll see that, the, that Jonah is most content in chapter two, in the belly of a fish, singing a prayer of thanksgiving to our almighty God. 
It's in chapter two that Jonah finally humbles himself and prays to God, giving thanks to God and praising him for all that God has done for him. It's in the belly of the fish that Jonah can finally see clearly that God has the one who has delivered him and ultimately saved him from certain death. It's in the belly of the fish that Jonah remembers and celebrates that salvation comes from the Lord. So Jonah offers doxology, prayers of thanksgiving to Almighty God. Beginning with the last half verse of six to seven, Jonah says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. In these two verses, Jonah declares divine rescue as a part of his prayer of thanksgiving. As Jonah sat at the bottom of the sea with his head wrapped in seaweed, unable to swim to the top, with the sea billows above him, he humbly offers a prayer of deliverance. And God answers his prayer and saves him by commanding a big fish to swallow him so that he might breathe and be saved. Finally, Following the pattern of every prayer of thanksgiving, Jonah offers a vow of praise in verse nine. I, with the the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen? How can we sing praises to God in the midst of dark circumstances? By remembering that salvation comes from the Lord. And that salvation can never be taken away. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and those who are listening. He says, I am the good shepherd and the sheep know my voice. It says in John 10, verse 27 to 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves us. He died for us. He paid the ultimate price for our sins with his sacrifice on the cross. But then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf. And we can know with full assurance that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That nothing can take us out of his caring, loving, almighty hand. He will never let us go. No matter how dark the circumstances may be, no matter how bleak the future may look, nothing can separate us the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. As the psalmist so beautifully states in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountain tremble at its swelling. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Despite the dark and smelly circumstances of being in the belly of a fish, Jonah knew that God was with them. Jonah knew that he'd been delivered. Jonah found comfort in the fact that salvation is found in the Lord. In response to God's deliverance, Jonah offers this beautiful prayer of thanksgiving that we find in Jonah chapter two. As we look closely at this this prayer that we find in Jonah chapter two, we can see that, well, Jonah was a man who knew how to pray. 
You don't just pray the first time ever like this. It's th- these are amazing words. These are powerfully well-crafted words for a beautiful prayer of thanksgiving. How is it that Jonah knew to pray so beautifully in the belly of a fish? Eugene Peterson points out that every phrase of Jonah's prayer can be traced back to a psalm. Jonah was trained in the school book of prayer. He was trained in the psalms. Eugene Peterson says this, Jonah's prayer is not spontaneously original self-expression. It is totally derivative. Jonah had been to school to learn to pray, and he prayed as he had been taught. His school was the psalms. Line by line, Jonah's prayer is furnished with the stock vocabulary of the psalms. Not a word in the prayer is original. Jonah got every word, lock, stock, and barrel, out of his psalm book. Eugene Peterson goes on to point out that the words of his prayer in Jonah chapter two can be traced back to Psalm three, Psalm five, Psalm 18, Psalm 30, Psalm 42, Psalm 69, Psalm 120, and Psalm 139 that I read at the very beginning of this message. Jonah knew how to pray because he had spent hours meditating, reading, meditating, and praying the Psalms. When was the last time you spent some time reading and meditating and and allowing the Psalms to become your own form of expression of prayer to God? As you know, most of the Psalms are written by King David, a man after God's own heart, and David does a beautiful job of speaking to almost every human emotion that we will possibly have. As you read the Psalms, we we see that David knows what what we're going through. No matter what Psalm we sing, we can relate to some way to what David's saying. When we're anxious, when we're afraid, King David has a psalm for that. When we feel guilty from our sin, King David has a psalm for that. When we're thankful for God's many blessings, King David has a psalm for that. This is as we read, meditate, and pray the psalms. You'll see that every psalm, despite the circumstances, despite the anxiety that's at the beginning, almost every psalm ends in praise, giving thanks to God. The next time we find ourselves going through a dark season of life and the circumstances are not going our way, and we take the time we need to to pray, to pray the Psalms, to allow these Psalms to become our words as we pray to Almighty God. Yes, God was with Jonah despite his rebellion and his hard-heartedness, and God is with us. So like Jonah, guided by the Psalms, let us offer thanksgiving to our God, despite our circumstances, knowing that salvation comes from the Lord. And that salvation, that ultimate salvation, can never be taken away. Amen? Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are the God who saves. You are the God who loves. You are the God who listens to us in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our pain, you hear us. You take our prayers and ultimately you heal us. You help us see that you are still with us, that salvation comes from you and that salvation can never be taken away. Oh God, we thank you for the saving reality that we have in your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and paid the price for our sins, who conquered sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the full assurance of eternal life if we simply believe in him. Oh God, you are a great God who saves.
May we ever be mindful of this reality. And may we take the time we need each and every day to thank you for your salvation. May we walk through the Psalms so that we might be able to give words to our emotions as we pray to you. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen.